OCO Taishu Shidanalai. I'm Jay Winton Wolf, and this is the American Indian Indigenous People's Truce Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio, podcasts, and everywhere else. I'll be right back to introduce my guest for today. Don't go away. My grandfather is the fire. My grandmother is the wind. The earth is my mother. The great spirit is my father. The world stopped at my birth and laid itself at my feet. And I shall swallow the earth whole when I die. And the earth and I will be one. Hail the great spirit, my father. Without him, no one could exist because there would be no will to live. Hail the earth, my mother, without which no food could be grown, and so cause the will to live, to starve. Hail the wind, my grandmother, for she brings loving, life-giving rain, nourishing us as she nourishes our crops. Hail the fire, my grandfather, for the light, the warmth, the comfort he brings, without which we be animals, not human. Hail my parents and grandparents, without which I, nor you, nor anyone else could have existed. Life gives life which gives unto itself a promise of new life. Hail the great spirit, the earth, the wind, the fire. Praise my parents loudly, for they are your parents too. O great spirit, giver of my life, please accept this humble offering of prayer, this offering of praise, this honest reverence of my love for you. For the 244 years since we declared our independence, one name has stood as the very definition of the word traitor to the U.S. military. Benedict Arnold sold out our troops during our fight for freedom. He tried to sell West Point to the enemy before defecting to the other side. Now there's a new traitor sullying those hallowed army grounds, and no one has betrayed those in uniform like Donald Trump. He consorts with a foreign enemy that puts bounties on the heads of American troops. He takes the word of Putin. President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today. Over the best American military intelligence. To Donald Trump, Russian bounties on American troops is just another hoax. I think it's a hoax. Some hoax. This July 4th, Benedict Arnold can step aside because Benedict Donald is America's number one traitor. 
I'm Jay Winter Nightwolf, and this is the American Indian Indigenous People's Truths. Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio and podcasts anywhere. We stop and think about what our veterans have done since the inception of this so-called Republic of the United States. Every skirmish, every police action, every war, men and women have taken a step forward and raised their right hand and took the oath, which basically says, I will protect the U.S. Constitution and the people of this country. However, in many cases, especially without deported veterans, they didn't get treated fair. There was no equality in it. In many cases, over 4,000 U.S. veterans, once they've been discharged, honorably discharged, have been deported back to other countries other than the United States without any kind of benefits or rights for the time and they work and the work they put in to protect all of us. My personal feelings are, this is not right. This is wrong. How can you ask someone to go and protect you, but as soon as they finish their job of protecting you, you throw them away in the trash can? This broadcast today is about some of those veterans that I have met through my very close friend and brother, Jesus Manuel Valenzuela. I'll be back in just a minute to introduce the guest for today. Don't go away. As the sun rose over Afghanistan this morning, 8,600 American troops started their day knowing Russia has bounties on their heads, paying Taliban militants to murder our troops, and the heartbreaking truth that their commander-in-chief deserted them, that he ignored the intelligence report dropped on his desk in February, too lazy to read it himself. And now, since the report was read out loud to him in June, days have passed, weeks have gone by, still no action. Not a call to his Russian master to stand down. Not a call to console the families left behind. When the sun sets over our troops in Afghanistan tonight, how many more bounties will Russia have paid out? Our troops deserve a whole lot better than a traitor like Trump. I'm sitting here in the studio with my very good friend, my compadre, my brother, my Marine brother, Manuel Valenzuela. Manuel Valenzuela served the United States Marine Corps honorably. He was a combat veteran in Vietnam. But after he got discharged, he found himself in another battle, a battle for his citizenship. Manuel, along with his brother Valente, both received deportation letters after they had honorably served this country. Manny, it's good to see you. Tell us, how you doing, bro? I'm just hanging in there, Jay. All right. I want to say thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak out on behalf of our struggles here. Uh, You're welcome. My next guest is Hector Lopez. Hector, how you doing today, bro? Uh, we're um, we're right in the snap. Dad, we're in the middle of a pandemic here in Tijuana, and it's getting worse, but uh, we're hanging in there. All right. And as military men, we improvise and adapt, and we're just uh, 
putting one foot in front of the other okay. until we walk back into the United States. Absolutely. And Hector was a member of the U.S. Army. My third guest yes. today is um, Robert Vivar. And Robert is a deported family member of a United States veteran that served honorably. Him and Hector both are in Mexico. Robert, it's good to see your face and tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, my name is Robert Bivar, and I'm the uh, I'm a, what we call a Blue Star Father. My son is uh, currently serving um, active duty. My grandson is also serving active duty, Marine Corps. My son, Air, Air National Guard. Um, another uh, brother, uh, just like Manny, a uh, Vietnam uh, combat veteran with the uh, U.S. Army 11th Armor Black Horse Unit. Mm -hmm. uh, another brother uh, was also a Vietnam-era veteran. Uh, my partner's son is a two-tour Iraqi combat veteran. So even though I didn't serve, um, you know, military is uh, my family. And as such, uh, we, we need to stick with each other, help each other, because we're family. Uh, when I got deported uh, seven years ago, about six months after I got deported, um, I ran into uh, an office that was just opening up deported veterans here in Tijuana, Mexico. Um, I walked in and, and from there, um, I've been volunteering for, uh, for over six years, uh, in support of deported veterans, uh, what deported veterans are going through mm -hmm. uh, with this deport, with their deportation, you know, being, uh, isolated from their family, from their life, uh, from their world. Um, you know, it's, it's injustice. Absolutely. So let's start with you, Manny. What's your story? Tell us about what happened. Well, Jay, uh, my story started in 2009. I, uh, I got a, a notice to appear in court to be removed from this country. After I, I got out, out of Vietnam in 71, 72 and served, you know, in the Marine Corps. But when I got that notice, January 29, I went to court. The end of that day, my mother passed away right there, Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs, and I went to Denver. Well, you know, when I, I got that notice to be deported, it just like, I felt ashamed. And I, and, uh, I didn't know what it's for. It doesn't say, it just says show up to be deported. Well, I didn't tell nobody for about a month you know, I've kept it to myself, and I, do, I wanted. I didn't know what to do until my brother showed up in February, middle of February, too, and uh, the way I felt, his face looked at it. I looked at his face, and it, it was he was hurting. So I asked him, uh, what, what's, what's the problem there? And he goes, well, check this out. He's showing me the removal papers, my brother, too. So I just went to my room and I brought that paper out, my paper, and I said, wait a second, brother. I brought it up and I put it on the table right there, both of us, and that's where our lives started. We had to, I said, man, uh, they're trying to deport me too, and he couldn't believe it. And he's a bronze star Vietnam veteran, you know, he was there in 68, had a mm -hmm. fence. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that, that right there was, that was a crucial war right in Vietnam, the, the battle right there. And he even got a bronze star. Right. To me, 
that angered me out so much that that uh, I told him we have to go to a radio station uh, to a, a channel TV. So we called Channel 13 and told them the story. At that time, I haven't even had a Taekwondo school. They came to my school and beat you at us, you know, right before our classes. And uh, next you know it, uh, two or three days later, I started getting calls from uh, different from Mexico uh, telling us that they're, vet, you know, they're deported veterans. And to me, it just got me all mad, and uh, I said, no way. You know, because uh, even then, the last thing I had to do in Vietnam was go and search and bring my buddies back, you know, all of my brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, we did rescue missions from the Duluth LPD-6. And what that alone had been bothered me all these years, all my life, but to, to hear my brothers deported, ain't no way. I cannot accept that. Okay, um, Hector. Yes. What's your story, brother? Well, I joined the the Army Reserves right out of high school. Uh, well, actually, it was just a little bit after high school because I thought I wanted to go to college. But uh, it turns out that the college to join the military was much stronger for me. So I, I uh, when I told my mom I was I want to sign up for the Army like all my friends were doing, she said no. Uh, because uh, the Vietnam War was still fresh in her mind, uh, she said the last thing she wanted to do was uh, see me go off to fight in another country and come back dead, and uh, and and for nothing to change in the United States. So, uh, and plus, I was the oldest male of of my family. So uh, my mom, she has two businesses, uh, two restaurants uh, with bars. So I had to, she kind of wanted me to stay and help her, you know, for the weekends and stuff. So that's why I didn't go regular army. So I just went in the reserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stayed in the reserves doing my time, my summer camps and my uh, my weekend a month until, uh, until uh, uh, the invasion of Grenada. And uh, when that happened, uh, when we found out our unit was being activated, it was... Um, it was a really uh, critical time in my life because uh, some of the white guys in my unit were leaving to Canada. Huh. And they were telling me to go to Mexico to not fight. So it was kind of weird. It was uh, it was like, hell no, I signed up. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not scared. You know, I'm going to go. And plus, and, uh, and plus you, you gave your word. You gave your word. I had signed up. I had signed up. So I, I'm not going to be labeled a, a deserter or even worse, a coward. Mm. So uh, that in my mind, that's what I thought. So I was ready to go when, when we received our orders from the Pentagon saying that we were uh, activated for the invasion of Grenada. It was uh, it was quite a rude awakening because that's kind of one of the reasons I joined the reserve because I didn't ever think I was going to go to war. Mm. You know, I thought I'd be stateside. I'd be close to my, my mom, my family, and uh, boy, was I in for a rude awakening because uh, the reserve units can be activated, as we all know, with, uh, with the Persian Gulf, with, uh, you know, OIF, OEF. So it's, uh, and, but fortunately, like I said earlier, fortunately for me, uh, our unit was in training to get ready to go over there, and then uh, we were on the plane. 
and we received our our BD two fourteens, which surprised the hell out of me because, uh, you know, it, it seemed like my scrotum was already up, going up my stomach. That's how scared I was. You know what I mean? It was one of those you going to war, motherfucker? You're gonna go kill some people or go get killed? Okay. So it was a, uh, it was really uh, one of those uh, life changing moments for me. And um, but nevertheless, uh, I got my BD two fourteen right on the plane. And uh, they sent us home. We went back to flew back to Fresno, California. And uh, needless to say, after that, uh, that scare it was it was enough to uh, to when my six years was up. My six years came up, and I just wanted to um, I wanted to get out. I didn't want to stay in there because uh, really America has, has been in war so damn long you know it seems like they're always in war and uh, and sure enough like I said because I did not sign I did not take the bribe of the $5,800 that my recruiter offered me to sign for another six years uh, I actually went on about my life and and <laughs> like not even a year after that after I got out uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait and then that started the whole deal in the Persian Gulf, and my unit was activated again because I did keep communication with my friends, mm -hmm. uh, my fellow uh, brothers in arms that were in, in my unit. And uh, like I said, I saw in the newspaper a lot of my friends, uh, they didn't make it because we were a transportation unit, and uh, that was kind of the first time that that uh, roadside bombs came into play or... right. Uh, you know, it was it was a it was a totally different war than the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. which was fought in the jungle. Um, so there was a lot of uh, my men that our men from my unit that we lost. Their, their names came in the paper, mm. and it was really uh, one of those. Uh, I still think about it today. You know, all my friends that I lost, it could have been me. Yeah. And actually, the unit that the the deucing I have that I would have been in. Uh, all that, all that convoy. Actually, uh, most of the the men died in in uh, in our transportation unit. The convoy, the ones that drove the deuce and a half. So it was uh, it was really hard to take all that to see my friends in the newspaper with their names and their families saying, you know, mm -hmm. uh, thank you for your service. May they rest in peace. And I'm like, all that, you know. Uh, I I'm glad. I I'm glad I'm here alive, you know. And I'm glad, kind of glad I didn't sign up now because. Uh, okay. Really, uh, thank you for your service. Doesn't mean if, if your country's not going to take care of you after, or All right. your family after. Rob, um, so uh, yeah, after that, uh, uh, I went on about my life, uh, not even worrying about it, because uh, uh, actually, when I was really getting that five thousand seven hundred dollar check, my uh, my uh, recruiter said that. Uh, that I didn't have to do, take my citizenship test. That I didn't have to become a citizen because because of my six years of honorable service to the U.S. Army that I was actually a national of the United States. And he said a national, somebody that, that carries an American passport, you don't have to worry about anything. The only one that can take that is the State Department. So I'm like, hell yeah, shit, I'm cool then. Uh, so I went about my life uh, after all that and... Uh, after dealing with everything that, that came up after that, uh, a lot of issues that I didn't have before, uh, 
I actually, you know, uh, since my mom did own a restaurant, a bar, I didn't, I'm not really a drinker, but I did took up drinking and, okay. you know, and okay. got involved in drugs. Kind of why I'm here, because, you know, of the felony conviction. Okay, Hector. Thank you. Robert, what's your story? Well, uh, I was born here in uh, Tijuana, Mexico. At the age of six, my family moved us to the U.S. where, where I grew up. Lived just about all my life up to uh, seven years ago, like I said, when I got deported. You know, I had a normal childhood, um, you know, played sports, service clubs. Uh, once I turned 18, I, I went and registered for the draft, uh, expecting uh, right out of high school to, to go to Vietnam like everybody else was going. Fortunately, the war ended, so uh, I was not uh, drafted. Uh, instead, I started working for the airlines, and, you know, the rest uh, was pretty much uh, a very mellow, you know, life. Uh, you know, very productive, worked for the airlines uh, for close to uh, 20 years. Um, I ended up getting in trouble, had my uh, legal residence taken away from me, and I was deported uh, here to Mexico seven years ago. Uh, like I was mentioning to you earlier, um, walking out of church one day, I, I ran into a sign that said uh, deported veterans. And I had heard about deported veterans here in Mexico. And uh, I, I walked in. Uh, it was very uh, interesting to me, of course, you know, having a lot of military family. Uh, it hit a spot. And, and I walked in um, and uh, I, I started to realize that uh, by getting involved with uh, deported veterans, uh, deported community, that that was helping me uh, to overcome my own struggles of uh, deportation. Mm -hmm. and it was very important, you know, to uh, to start getting involved with uh, with the veterans issues. Like I said, because of my veteran family, when uh, my brother came back from Vietnam, we shared a room, and I, I could hear him at night how. Any little noise, he would wake up, um, you know, and I, I, I could hear him, you know, that he was struggling with something. Of course, I really didn't know what the hell was going on at that point. Of course, later on, we come to find out that uh, it was more than likely um, he was dealing with some of the issues from his um, from his war experience in Vietnam. PTSD, so PT, PTSD, right? Uh He's never been diagnosed for it, but, uh, you know, all the indicators are there uh, mm -hmm. that that's exactly what it was, PTSD. Uh, you know, he rode around in a tank. Uh, so you can imagine the, the kind of combat that he's seen uh, mm -hmm. there during his, uh, his, um, his tour in, in Vietnam. Uh, so, you know, when, when uh, I walk in and, and, and I start getting involved and I, I, get to know firsthand some of the struggles that our deported veterans are going through. Um, you know, it, it was something that I took personally and I decided I, I needed to do something about it. Uh, we soon find out that, you know, veterans that are being deported, uh, you know, are not accessing any VA benefits. Uh, there's really nothing being done to get them back home, you know, through the legal channels. Uh, so I, I started getting involved. Uh, like I said, this was something, you know, that hit home. It was personal. Right. And, uh, you know, as, I, as I've gotten to know a lot of the uh, deported veterans, um, 
you know, I, I'm very empathetic of, of their struggle that they're going to. And uh, that's what keeps me uh, motivated to, uh, to continue fighting for them, uh, to help them get their benefits mm-hmm. and continue to search for uh, legal avenues for them to be repatriated, whether it's to um, work on, on creating legislation, supporting legislation, uh, but also for looking uh, at different alternatives for them, like post-conviction relief, uh, pardons, um, pairing them up with uh, legal services that uh, may be available. Mm-hmm. Uh, yesterday, we had a very uh, productive uh, conversation with uh, the legal clinic at the University of Michigan, along with the uh, uh, Center for Military um, uh, Justice uh, from USC, University of Southern California. And we're hoping that we can uh, continue to acquire a network of universities where they do offer veteran legal clinics um, to pair up with us so we can support our veterans that are deported um, that at one time or another lived uh, anywhere in the United States. Right. Okay. Manny. Coming back for this, Robert, I do believe on you. Uh, like my mom, my brother, when he was in Vietnam, I would see my mother praying every other night, all night long, praying that he'd get back. And then it, I went, and then my other, I have other three other brothers went in the service. And I look at, at her and all this time, I say to myself, if one of the persons serves in the military, the whole family is serving, you know? Mm-hmm. And this should be a family separations, especially from the families that they're serving uh, in the military. But Manny, Manny you, were, you were born in Mexico. Right. But your mom was a U.S. citizen. <laughs> Uh, and she married your dad and moved to Mexico, but but that that means she is supposed to still be a U.S. citizen. Okay, when I was born, there were six of us born in Mexico, and my mom fell in love with my dad, and she moved right to Mexico, and it's just right across the border. Right. And five, six of us were born, and uh, out of the six, there was four of us. It's Guys, there were four, let's see, five boys and one girl when we came back in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I was five, we served the military. I got my oldest brother who was in the Army. I got one year older brother who was in the Navy. I'm a Marine. I got one year younger brother who was in the Air Force. Then I got another brother, excuse me, that was born in the United States in the Army. Mm-hmm. So we, my family was all military. And my mom passed away, and my dad, but uh, they suffered. So I, I see you where you come from, Robert, and I stand by you 100% that nobody in the family should be deported. When they're, they've got a uh, son or active duty and they're out there protecting America, hey, they should honor you too. Absolutely. So, Manny. Thank you, Manny. You absolutely. Welcome. Manny, um, you are a member of an American Indian tribe, right? Right. Uh, my family come from, uh, it's uh, Redford, Texas, and El Paso. There's a Umano tribe. Okay. Matter of fact, one of my cousins is the chief of the Umano tribe in Texas. And uh, to me, uh, I, can't, I can't see this government 
doing that, trying to do that to the Valenzuela brothers. We are tribal. And my mother was born in the United States. Okay, okay. Um, Hector, what is, yeah. it, what is it that you see that, that, that you want done on behalf of you and other deported veterans? What is it that you guys want? What we want to uh, see and what we want done, what we want, uh, what we want to accomplish, is I want to be recognized as the U.S. military veteran that I am for the for the U.S. military veteran that I am, because uh, when when uh, when I came home on leave uh, uh, from from uh, not not leave, but when I went to do my basic training in Fort Leonard Missouri and came home. Uh, Everybody at the airport, all they did was thank me, and they were buying me drinks and doing all that because I was wearing my class A uniform with my duffel bag. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody was just so nice, and uh, you know, uh, I was a veteran of the United States Armed Forces. Uh, nobody ever told me, uh, "Hey, are you an immigrant? Hey, are you a citizen? Hey, that didn't even come into play back then. So to see it coming no. into play now." You know, that, that really hurts, you know, because uh, when, uh, like I said, when, when all this stuff was going on with uh, Grenada and stuff, and uh, I really thought that uh, my life was going to be on the line. And so, uh, so what we really want is for us to be recognized as the U.S. military veterans that we are. And uh, they're recognizing that, as a matter of fact, because uh, they're giving us our benefits. Right, if right. They're giving me my 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 rightfully earned benefits with my service. Um, uh, what the heck is going on? Uh, so they are recognizing me as a veteran, but they're not letting me live in the country that I was willing to die for. That does not make sense. No, it the don't. The majority don't. of us just want to go home, and we want to be recognized as U.S. military veterans, and uh, as such, we're all brothers. Uh, I, I, I come into contact with a lot of veterans that are American citizens in this area, and they're all, they call me brother, we call each other brother. Uh, we're a brotherhood. The mm -hmm. military is a brotherhood. And as such, we want to be recognized as a, even though I'm not born in the United States, but, uh, you know, damn it, I'm an American, you know, and, uh, and I want to be with my family. Uh, my family's in the United States, and just because I was born in Mexico, yes, I belong here because I was born here. But you know what? I'm an American, and I want to go home. And uh, the majority of us feel like that, that, that we want to go home. This isn't our home. I mean, temporary it is. That's how we're seeing it. But uh, we want to go back home to the United States of America, the country we were willing to defend and protect with our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that's what the majority of us want. That's what I want. I want, I want to go home, see my family. Uh, okay. The majority of us want to go home, see their family. Some guys... Uh, they're getting their their small uh, military benefits. They they might want to stay here because uh, you know cost of living is so cheap. But they still want and they still need and they still should have access to the VA or or any uh, any other services that that uh, all veterans qualify for in the United States of America. Because uh, even though uh, we're a border country, we still don't get most the. Uh, None of the programs that veterans right on the other side of the border are entitled to, that I'm entitled to as a U.S. military veteran. So the majority, all of us, we want to go home, 
and we want to be recognized as veterans of the United States Armed Forces. That's what we want. Okay. Can I say something? Sure. Okay. Remember, uh, Hector, one time that I said, hopefully our dream will come true because uh, this 2020 election, the president of the United States, we've been fighting to, uh, struggling to get the right president up there. And hopefully we do, which we are pushing him to uh, come at, step up to the plate and say, I'm going to pardon executive order, stop the deportation, bring everybody home. Remember that? I said that dream of that uh, we're all going to walk in together. That's what I want to do. Okay. okay? All of us and, and have that, a big party with the family together. Okay. Robert. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as simple. signing an executive order, and that to, that will bring us home, and it'll stop this this unpatriotic, you know, right. uh, mess mess done to immigrant veterans. Okay. Robert. You know, yes, from everything that I've heard that the three of you have been talking about and other deported veterans that I've spoken to over the last couple of years, um, this all seems to be political. Uh, Manny, where did this, who, what president does this, did this mess start with? This started with uh, uh, this started, Bill Clinton signing the Legal Immigration Act. Right. Okay. Yep. And so what is it going to do? What's it going to take to change this, Robert? Uh, you know, Jay, this is a, a real complicated issue. Uh, and you said it, it is political. That's why uh, it seems so complicated. Uh, they're trying to make it uh, an immigration issue. This is not an immigration no, issue. No, it's not. This is a veteran issue. There's a veteran issue, and it should be kept uh, as a veteran issue, and it should be resolved as a veteran issue. And actually, there's a very simple solution to it. And that solution is uh, 8 U.S.C. Code 1101 Alpha 22, uh, which talks about what constitutes loyalty and allegiance uh, to the United States that should uh, be considered, uh, a person should be considered as a national or, if not, a U.S. citizen. And that's basically what needs to be done that uh, the U.S. Congress, along with the Senate, needs to clarify the meaning of 8 U.S.C. Code 1101 Alpha 22 with clear indication that the moment the soldier took the oath of enlistment, at that point, the soldier uh, pledges loyalty and allegiance to the United States, and at that point should be considered a national, if not a U.S. citizen, and placed out of the jurisdiction of the Department of Homeland Security and not be eligible for removal from the United States. It's, it's not that complicated. All they need to do is clarify this particular uh, AUSC code. Uh, at the present moment, uh, Congressman Mark Tucano, the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, introduced uh, HR 5151, November of 2019, and while the legislation has a lot of different uh, articles to it, the name of the legislation is Honoring the Oath Act of 2019. And it goes on to talking about how 8 U.S.C. Code 1101 Alpha 22 um, should be observed and, uh, you know, uh, it, you know the, uh, the proven allegiance and loyalty of uh, the person should be considered 
to become a national if not a U.S. citizen. It's real simple. It's not that difficult. It's a matter of uh, clarification on it. Um, and in that clarification includes that any, any veteran that has been deported be repatriated and remove any veteran from uh, the jurisdiction of Homeland Security ICE mm-hmm. and consider them a national, if not a U.S. citizen. Okay. Manny, I know you've been on this mission for quite a long time. What was it that prompted you to get involved like this? I mean, you could have just sat on the sidelines and like so many of, of uh, military veterans do and just say, well, it'll work its way out. What was it that gave you the torch in your hand to go marching forward with this? Well, Jay, uh, being in the jungle in Vietnam, all of us bring each other home no matter what. And we didn't care what color we are, but we all brothers. And I had that mission, my last mission when I was there. And we went and brought some of those guys. And I, I don't even want to tell you how how they were, you know. But it, it stuck to me the rest of my life. And then when I heard about veterans being deported, it just came right back at me. Just grabbed me and said, you know, I can't let this happen. So... From there on, to the day I died, I will not stop. To each one of you's back. And that's a promise. Well, Manny, I've, I've been following you and watching you and uh, became very closely acquainted to you as my brother. Uh, you have a big RV out there sitting out there right in front of my house that's been wrapped that says, Stop the Deportation of American Veterans. Now... You also have been, you're in a new motion picture that's going to be released later this year, a PBS special called American Exiled. What's that about, and who's in that? Okay, Jay, I just got, uh, I talked to the producer, John Baladez. He made the movie, he's, and he's done with the movie. He said in a month or two, it's going to be out. And this is going to really hit big. He said it's powerful. It's good. And I told him, we got to have it out before the elections because that movie is going to determine who in the hell is going to be our president because we have not ever had a commander-in-chief of the military. And I believe that that person that's commander-in-chief can just, with a pen, bring them all back, everybody. And now hopefully we can do this uh, before the elections. And he said it is. He promised me and his wife gave me the okay. We got it. So, guys, we're going to hit it hard, okay? When that movie comes out, we're going to go all over the place. Well, Benny, you know, um, you've actually been on the campaign trail, not as a representative for any potential candidate, but you've met people like Tulsi Gabbard, who's a U.S. veteran. You met uh, Elizabeth Warren, and you met Joe Biden. President Obama, Obama. Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton. I met them all, and, and I, I uh, spoke to all of them personally and asked them for help. And uh, like Tulsi said, man, she's she president. She'll step up and do this. 
Elizabeth said she will do this, and uh, it just goes on and on for this election. But I met Biden too way back, and President Obama, and I told him and this time he's going to have to answer to it because this 2020, I believe, is is a true vision of a true commander in chief of the military. But what I can't understand. How the hell did we get a command in chief that was such a big coward that he he uh, ducked the draft? Oh, bone spurs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe we, uh, as America, is that I, my understanding is they should at least serve in the military before they're, uh, they can be commander in chief. That gives them a, an idea what we go through. And, and that and his desk, because that's what he says on there. He should at least go into uh, at least two or three years service just to get an idea what it is. We've been having no commander chief in the military for years. My 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 take on that, Manny, is that in order to qualify to run for president, you must have served in the armed forces. Yes. Okay, Robert, what's your thoughts on that? And then we're going to get to Hector. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, to have a president that uh, got six deferments uh, to not serve the country, uh, that that should not that should not have been tolerated. Period. Uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a citizen of the United States, you you have that obligation at one point or another um, to serve or be willing to serve. And if your name has been called to serve, uh, then it's your obligation to do it. Whether you know we don't agree on on the useless wars that uh, that we're involved in right now, however, that's beyond the point. Um, you know, you can't expect to lead a country if uh, you know you have not uh, or you were not willing to serve that country uh, by giving yourself um, in the military for for the country. You know. Um, and, you know, with something that is very disturbing, you know, the news that came out not too long ago that, uh, you know, the Russians were placing uh, bounties on our soldiers, um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Middle East. Uh, you know, whether, you know, the president knew about that or not, that's fine. But the moment that that news came out, there should have been some kind of a message to denounce any kind of action by anybody to put any kind of bounty on our soldiers and whether you knew about it or not just refusing to do it uh, talks a lot about who you are and you are not a commander-in-chief that's for sure absolutely hector your thought the only thing that comes to mind is uh, uh there has been several uh presidents that that didn't uh didn't serve in the military and uh i mean uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be critics over this comment, but uh, the majority of them didn't do such a good job. Uh, so uh, that kind of falls back into what Manuel just said. Uh, that we think that if you want to run this country, you should be able, you should first serve it mm-hmm. in, in a in a in a sense of being a, a true public servant. Because when you're in the military, you're you know you're you're just a servant of the country. You do whatever they tell you. So I think um, overall, I would say yes. It should be a recommendation that if you want to, if you want to run for president, 
you should have at least some type of public service, uh, serving the community, serving uh, your country in some uh, some way, shape, or form. Even if it's not during the actually combat or, or uh, whatever. But I think it, it should be a requirement. If you want to run this country, you should first serve it. There you go. There you go. Okay, gentlemen, we're going to take a break and come back in about two or three minutes and uh, continue this conversation. And when we come back, I want, uh, I, want, I want the three of you to think about what do we do next? What do we do next? I'm Jay Wintonite Wolf, and this is the American Indian Indigenous People's Truths. Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio or podcast anywhere. Don't go away. We'll be back shortly. Camp Bin Laden, Joint Base Al-Zarqawi. We wouldn't name American military bases after enemies who attacked our country. But 10 military bases still bear the names of Confederate Army traitors, enemies who took up arms against the United States in defense of slavery. Names that dishonor those who serve on those bases today. And you can add someone else to that list. Donald Trump dishonors our service when he stopped the military from removing those Confederate names. We need to rename these forts for American heroes, men and women who served our country honorably. But serving honorably, Mr. President, is something you'll just never understand. I'm Jay Wintonite Wolf. Welcome back to the American Indian Indigenous People's Truths, Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio and podcasts everywhere. My guest today, Manuel Valenzuela, uh, Hector Lopez, and Robert Vivar. Guys, it's good to be talking to you again. I, I, I just want to read you a story that I just pulled up. Deported U.S. veterans feel abandoned by the country they defended. And this article is about Miguel Perez Jr. He locked himself into a hotel room for an entire weekend in one of the most dangerous cities along the border between the United States and Mexico. A Mexican native, Perez, 41, grew up in Chicago. He enlisted in the military and served two tours in Afghanistan. When he returned home, he struggled with post traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Those struggles led to drug-related conviction that landed him in state prison for seven years. While there, he received treatment for his condition, both therapy and medication. But that conviction also triggered deportation proceedings. After a year as an immigrant detention center, Perez was deported to Mexico. In that hotel room, as he waited for his friend to pick him up and take him to Tijuana, Perez began to feel the weight of his new reality. Perez held his documents and two days' worth of medication close to him. He was alone and overcome with anxiety, and he tried to figure out a way to live in a country that he'd left when he was just a little boy. This experience that Perez felt is an experience that so many people, veterans have felt being deported after serving in the military. I said it before and I'll say it again, that any man or woman 
that takes the oath to protect this country, the day that take that oath, they should be awarded citizenship. Not conditional citizenship, but citizenship, full citizenship. Manuel, you know about, about this guy, don't you? Miguel Perez, Jr.? Yes. Uh, Chicago? I, I personally, too, and my brother went to his uh, court up there in Chicago, matter of fact. My brother and I and another, I uh, forgot who it was, but we were in uniform, and we went to court to see if we could testify, but they didn't let us. They let the family uh, testify, but they didn't let us. But they, we did have the opportunity to talk to him over the video. He was in, incarcerated. He was not in court, but it was a video. Uh, but the judge let us talk to him. You know, Jay, uh, during that, uh, that court, the judge, it was a female. Mm-hmm. She started crying. Mm. And the secretary, the secretary, both of them were crying on the first court. I said, oh, wow, this, this is going to really, it's going to be helping us out. You know, I mean, we're going to win this case. And then um, she's, uh, we took off. We, we thought we got to win there. And she set it up for another court. And then the same thing, she started crying again. And we were there again. I was there. But this time, the judge said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a two-week uh, rest. I'll make my decision, take, and I'll be back in two weeks. And I said, we've done lost. You know, once she said that uh, to me, it's like say, saying that uh, she's going to have to go talk to some other groups of people to get an, an answer to, to this for him uh, to not to be deported. And, and that was, sure enough, she came back and he got deported. You know, that was, she could have just said right there, you're going home, you're you gone and paid your, your dues. You know, when we get in trouble, we go to court, uh, we go to court, we go to jail, and we got to pay that crime, and we pay that crime. Now, we come out, and then they handcuff you, and they say, no, you're deportable now. And that they, we, they put you in detention, and you, some of those guys were there for like a year, and then they deport you for that. But that, that in itself sounds like double jeopardy. That's double jeopardy. To me, you know, being I mean, charged for the same case. That's... That's against U.S. law. I believe that they call it, well, that's judicial law, and then they make it immigration issue. Oh, that's crap. That's, but still the same case. In yeah. other words, we pay for it twice. And some of these guys, uh, I can't believe, uh, you know, what they go through. And, and my, my case was uh, drunk and disorderly, uh, resistant arrest, the police. And uh, they said, well... They want to deport you over that? Yeah. Now I wonder I, how many of those cops on the police force have been drunk and disordered. Oh, tell me about it. But coming back from Vietnam, you know, I told them I, I was crazy. I was young. And that was like 30 years ago. My cases. I paid for that crime. Uh-huh. And then they bring it 30 years later and put it on there and say, you're deportable. Again, that's, to me, that's not right. Being charged for the same case over again. So, Robert, what do you have to say about that? That's a, that's a very strong inconsistency, Jay. You know, the Constitution states that uh, you cannot pay twice for the same mistake. 
And in the case of a non-citizen veteran, you're going to pay three times, not even twice. You know, you you commit the uh, crime, whatever you want to call it, and, uh, you know, you pay for it. You do your time, you pay your fine, whatever it has to be. But then on top of that, you're, you know, you're transferred to immigration detention to have your legal residence taken from you. That's, you know, paying twice for it. And then on top of that, uh, you paid for it three times because you get um, removed from the country that you were raised in, the country you were willing to sacrifice your life for, to be exiled in a country where you may have been born, but it's not your home. It's a country that you don't know anymore because you left when you were a young child. And you're exiled, you know, to never return to the United States, uh, probably not ever to see your family again. That's three times that you're paying for the same mistake. You know, even the worst criminal with the most heinous crime, murder, uh, you know, pedophiles, uh, child abusers have an opportunity at one time or another to uh, visit with their loved ones. But here's somebody that was willing to give their life to protect the Constitution of the United States um, is barred from ever having, uh, you know, any set foot again on, on, uh, on, on uh, U.S. ground uh, to be exiled from their family, uh, be taken away from the loved ones, uh, you know, you're paying three times, not just once, not just twice. Right, you right. Know, they, they indicate that um, that it's uh, not correct because uh, the removal, according to the law, is not a criminal act. It's a civil violation. And that's how they're uh, getting away with uh, having our non-citizen veterans uh, pay two, three times for the same mistake. Well, you know, I, I read another article that's, that was titled uh, uh, ICE is Supposed to Consider Service, Military Service When Deporting Veterans, but it, has, it hasn't done that. And it says over the past couple of years, stories of non-citizen veterans being deported have made major headlines. And as it turns out, there's a process in place that provides extra consideration for those immigration cases but federal officials haven't been following those. That's a law. Exactly. The uh, recent uh, GAO report indicated that most of the veterans that had been deported uh, were deported without uh, Homeland Security following uh, the guidelines that they were supposed to be following for consideration of equities and military service of the veteran. Uh, in most cases, the study found that they didn't follow those guidelines. Now, you know, a lot of our veterans have been uh, deported um, thinking that, you know, by their military service, they became U.S. citizens. Many of them, even during the course of their military service, applied for citizenship. And their command, for one reason or another, dropped the ball and they were never allowed to continue with the citizenship process. So, of course, them thinking, well, you know what? I applied for citizenship. I never heard back. I, I must be a citizen. Come to find out when you exit the military, you end up getting in trouble and you're before an immigration judge to find out that your process was never uh, terminated. You never finished your process to actually become a citizen. 
So there's got to be, you know, a, a, a sense of a responsibility there also in, um, in the military, the Department of Defense, and the upper command of that uh, veteran that was never given the opportunity to uh, continue their citizenship uh, process. You know, I was, I was, I also noted uh, uh, the GAO sifted through two databases, uh, and that was at the request of the House Veterans Affairs Committee. They found 250 veterans who had been subject to removal and 92 who have ultimately been deported. And since 2004, there's been two memos dictating how ICE agents handle a, a notice to appear. The first step in deportation proceedings for veterans, and since 2015, those cases have, been, have, have needed to be kicked, kicked to a higher headquarters for review. Have you heard anything about any of that, either, you know, either of you guys? It sounds like somebody in the federal government has been doing a hell of a lot of lying to veterans. That is correct. Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, it doesn't even start there. It starts way before that. You know, when, when a veteran gets into trouble, he should have access to veteran court so that an alternative plea can be um, pled to that will afford the veteran treatment for whatever it is that uh, he is being charged with. And many of the veterans that you're going to find uh, within that report and without that report uh, were never afforded the opportunity to uh, go through veterans court. Uh, you know, we have a uh, deported veteran who was deported uh, back in January to El Salvador that when we reviewed his uh, case file, uh, when he was going, he, you know, he took it to the jury. It was a jury trial. Uh, his defense was not permitted to present his military evidence or his military service into evidence. Uh, they were not even allowed to present his um, rating of PTSD and TBI uh, from the VA in court. That's how disproportionate and unfair uh, proceedings, uh, proceedings are to our veterans. You know, you, here you have a veteran that is, um, uh, you know, being charged with uh, domestic violence, okay? And the veteran has traumatic brain injury, has PTSD confirmed and rated by the VA, and that evidence is not being allowed to be presented in court in his defense. Hector, let's get a wife's opinion of all of this. We hear from the guys all the time, the victims. But they never give the victim's family or wife or children an opportunity to address this issue. What, what's your take on all of this? Um, I think it's an injustice that needs to be corrected. They paid for the crimes to society. Why are they paying again by being taken away from the country they believed that was theirs, from the country they were willing to die for? They need to be back home. They're paying coming to a, a country that they didn't even know. They were just born in it. To poverty, to struggles that nobody should have to go through. They're Americans. There are more Americans than those born in the United States. Only 1% of our population joins the service. So to me, 
it's a slap in the face, a kick in the butt, and other stuff that I could say. This is not right, and it needs to be amended. They need to all be back home. They need treatment. They need reintegration. Even the the reintegration system that they have now, excuse me for them, it, it's not enough. As soon as you join and all of you soldiers that are listening, you know that you are a different person. Your families know you are a different person. You are no longer the same because you have some form of PTSD just by going in and finishing your training. You are broken down into killing machines, into a different type of person, and then they expect you to come back home and be a normal person with no reintegration, no treatment for those that served at war. We have soldiers here from Iraq that are deported. What kind of dirty, this is a dirty injustice. This is dirty what they're doing to them. They need to be back home and we need to get our senators, Congress, the president of the United States, all it needs for them to come together and make the change and say stop to this injustice. Just because they're from a different country, they were born in a different country, that is not right for us to do that to our soldiers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is an embarrassment for me as a U.S. citizen to know that this is being done, not just because he's my husband, but because this is wrong at all levels. I don't know what else to say. Well, thank you so it, much. It, it really hurts. It, it, this is wrong, and it needs to be amended. And thank you for listening to me. <clears throat> not a problem. Thank you so much for your input. Say right now, Lupita, I want to say thank you. And you know what? That does. Uh, I have been to five funerals. Five different veterans that were deported to Mexico. And uh, the families were there, and they, they were, uh, you should see them. You know, mm -hmm. uh, what is so bad about it is they're deported, and then when they come to the border, they get uh, a coffin. They have to put an American flag over it. Then they go to the funeral, and they're, and they're buried, and they give the, they do a military uh ceremony and then they give the flag to the families and they say thank you for you for his service that is sick okay so we're going to wrap this up hector you in inside of two minutes can you give me your closing thoughts my closing thoughts are um ever since i got here to uh mexico the country i was born in uh i have felt like an outsider because uh like I say now and continuously say, I'm an American. Yes, I was born in Mexico and I am of Mexican, uh, I am a Mexican, but in my heart, uh, in my mind, in my soul, I'm an American. And therefore I belong in the country that I served and defended. Uh, yes, uh, Mexico is a beautiful country. Uh, yes, it is. America is a beautiful country, uh, but uh, we only we only appreciate the fact that that America is our home. 
That's okay. how I see it. America is my home. My family's over there. My kids are there. My all my cousins, all my family's over there. The only one that's here is you know I have a brother here that coincidentally mm-hmm. got deported as well. But you know uh, this is in our home, and uh, the only thing we want, well not the only thing, but the major thing we want is to go home. Okay. We just want to go home. All right. Uh, on that, they're giving us our benefits, and that's good. But yes. they're not giving us our home. That's we right. want to go home. Okay. Thank you, Hector. Uh, Robert, your closing thoughts. Sure. Uh, you know the marine. The marine motto is very clear: leave no one behind. And we must all band together and bring our deported veterans home. And the way we can do it is by showing up to the polls in November and vote for a Congress and a, and a, and a Senate and a president that will live to that motto of leaving no one behind and bring every deported veteran home. But in order to do that, we need everybody at the polls in November to make the right choice for Congress, for Senate, and the U.S. presidency. The, the American people need to take the country back and really put it back on track to the greatest country in the world, a country of honor, a country of high morals. Mm. But it can only be achieved by everybody showing up to the polls in November and leave no one behind. Thank you so much, Robert. I want to talk to you and and uh, and Hector again soon. Okay. Absolutely, Jay. Uh, be happy to any time, my brother. All right, Manny, you got the final word. Two minutes. Well, uh, brothers, I'm I'm very proud of you guys still fighting, and I'm like I said, I'm not going to stop. And I will be heading to Colorado Springs with my kids, and I'll be back over here in Washington D.C be marching with the veterans for uh veterans marching around for, for the black lives matter which hey we're all when when i went to vietnam everybody matters and especially what's happening lately to all of us it's it's, it's bad this united states is going real wrong to not taking care of the people so simplify brothers and let's bring us uh simplify. everybody home manny jay let's not forget Vanessa Guillen's life matters, and we got to continue raising the voice That's right. to That's bring right. justice for Vanessa Guillen. You got it. Okay, you got it. We'll talk about that soon. But anyway, as I close out this portion of uh, the American Indian's Truths, I would like to say this. When you stand on your two feet and you get out your bed in the morning, and should you see the television and listen to the radio, and you hear on the news that a war has broken up, and we need you to come and serve. If you love this country that you live in, you're gonna think about it. You're gonna run down to the recruitment office or somewhere and sign up to protect this country that you love. But when you sign up and you're not, you weren't born here, it should be automatic citizenship to you for just signing up and taking the oath to protect. And especially when you go and they put you in harm's way. And if you're lucky enough to get back out of that battlefield and don't die, then you deserve more honor, duty, and respect from this country. America has been at fault for lying to people. And I think some of the biggest lies that they've told have been to the American Indian and to U.S. veterans. 
they don't live up to the words that they give. You know, an old chief once says, I'm tired of these empty words and promises that come to nothing, only because you just say that to try to impress me, to take something from me, or try to make me feel good. Enough is enough, America. If you sign a piece of paper and you guarantee people things in that, on that piece of paper, then damn it, live up to it. I'm Jay Winter Night Wolf, and this has been the American Indian Indigenous People's Troops, Justice for All, the most dangerous show on radio or podcast anywhere. And I'll close you in the words of my Cherokee people. Danada, guai, wado. to live in peace with the Indian, he can live in peace. There need be no trouble. Treat all men alike. Give them all the same law. Give them all an even chance to live and grow. You might as well expect the rivers to run backward, as that any man who was born a free man should be contented when penned up and denied liberty to go where he pleases. We only ask an even chance to live as other men live. We ask to be recognized as men. Let me be a free man, free to travel, free to stop, free to work, free to choose my own teachers, free to follow the religion of my fathers, free to think and talk and act for myself.